What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of How on Infinity, the podcast dedicated to everything sports and nerd culture. I am your host, Jacob Knight, and we've got a great episode lined up for you today, folks. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the remastering of the first two games in the Tony Hawk Pro Skater series. Then we're going to talk about a very tough week that happened in the NFL. And then finally, we're going to give you my final thoughts on the Chicago Bulls Last Dance documentary. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. That time of week again, everybody. Episode 53 of the High on Infinity podcast, the podcast dedicated to everything sports and nerd culture. Like always, I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and your first time listening to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. And if you are a returning listener, we're glad to have you back for another fantastic episode. Okay. Hope everybody's doing good this week. Almost done with this work week. About to get ready for the three day weekend for a lot of us. You know, if you have to work on Monday, you know, if you're an essential worker, like, uh, you know, a uh, big thank you to the. You know, to the first responders taking care of us during this pandemic, uh, we wish y'all um, a safe weekend as well. But for me, I same old, same old. I've been doing nothing much, just cooped up at home. Today is actually day sixty-two of quarantine, but it's, it's looking. We're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit. A lot of these places are opening back up. I know in Alabama, a lot of the gyms are opening back up, and uh, hair salons and barber shops, and um. Hopefully, people are still practicing their, their, you know, their social distancing, only going out when need be. Just just because they're opening places back up doesn't mean the pandemic is over with. Like I see a lot of people on my uh, timeline going to the beach. I'm not gonna judge them, you know, to each their own. But I'm gonna hold off, probably for another month or so, before I'm fully back out in the game. If you know what I mean. But like I said, I ain't been doing nothing much this past week. Just same old, same old. Just continue uh, catching up. On my shows, uh, currently, I'm watching three shows at the moment, uh, Dragon Ball Super, Yu Yu Hakusho, and Money Heist. And Dragon Ball Super, I'm about 50 episodes in. I just started the, for those of you who watched it, I just started the Future Trunks part of the of the show. And I, I can't lie, it's really good. I, I'm like four or five episodes in, but I can tell this is going to be a good arc in the series. But overall, I like Dragon Ball Super. I just don't like... I just don't like the Lord Beers character. He just, I don't know, you know, you know that character that just that just gets on your nerves. They're not de- they're not designed to get on your nerves, but they just do. Like every time he's in a scene, I just feel like, oh my god, this scene is so stupid. But the show is fantastic without him, and it's good when he's in it. Not not because he's in the not not because he's in the scene that makes it good, but it just brings the level of the show down when he's a part of the storyline. But yeah. Uh, once again, um, on, on Yu Yu Hakusho, I'm think I'm, I just got done with the first season of Yu Yu, Yu Hakusho. Can't lie, like I said, it's my favorite anime of all time. So I'm like I'm rewatching it, you know, because it's been probably like 15 years since I seen it. So I forgot I forgot most of the stuff, but I can see why this is one of my favorite animes ever. From the the characters to the story, even not to the music, like the like the beginning, the intro to Yu Yu Hakusho is probably one. It's probably I, I'm gonna hot take. I'm probably gonna say, but it's probably the best anime opening in the history of anime. That's just my personal opinion. And with Money Heist, I just got done with the first season. I watched a couple episodes of the second season. And I like it a lot. I try to recommend it to some of my friends. I know a lot of my friends recommend Ozark. And I got Ozark on my list, but it's just, like, like I said, I'm, I'm dealing with three shows at, <laughs> uh, at this point in time. But hopefully, maybe later on this year when I finish these three shows, I'll probably get started on on Ozark, but let's get into some of these topics. Oh, but first, um, ne- let's talk about next week. Next week, 
I'm thinking about taking next week off. I I am not sure yet, but I've been hearing rumblings that the PS5 is going to be revealed at the end of the month. Between now and like let's say next Wednesday or Thursday, if the PS5 is revealed, I'll make a short episode just recapping everything about the new system. And my goal is if it's announced, if it's announced on like let's say if it's, if it's announced, let's say if it, uh, let's say if it's announced Monday, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try to have the episode out Tuesday, and you know if it's announced Wednesday, have an episode out Thursday, the usual day, and so on and so forth. But uh, I think Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday, it was announced that the CEO of Sony said the PS5 games will be announced soon. I don't know how soon soon is. You know, tomorrow, um, next week, week after next, next month. Um, I, I've been thinking like if you're gonna reveal games for the PS5. Might as, well, might as well reveal the system at that same event. But like I said, if uh, if the PS5 is announced within this week, I'm gonna make an episode for next week. And if it's revealed after a week, I'm just gonna it's, it's just gonna have to wait for next the, the following week's podcast. So as of now, no episode next week unless the PS5 is announced. But let's get into the comic book movie tournament finals. Yes, over the past five weeks, we've been voting. On the greatest comic book movie of all time, and I want to thank everybody who voted throughout this tournament. Very fun, you know, calculating see what calculating all the votes throughout the weeks and seeing, you know, what people like, you know, what like what movie people prefer if you give them two choices. But I have been doing some thought about this, and whenever I do a next tournament, more likely going to be next year for March Madness, I am going to stick to the you know when the people vote. But, you know, just to recap the tournament, like I said, uh, we started off with 32 teams or 32 uh, movies, 16 DC, 16 Marvel, which led to the two to the two films in our championship round. The Dark Knight out of the DC bracket and Avengers Endgame out of the Marvel bracket Um, the Dark Knight made its way to the finals by defeating the Suicide Squad, Batman Begins, Joker and the Dark Knight Rises to make it to the final round and Endgame took down X-Men First Class, Captain America Civil War. Thor Ragnarok and and Avengers Infinity War to make it to the finals. So, the final round. I expected the Dark Knight to run rough shot through the DC side of the bracket and make his way to the finals and won each matchup by more than 75% of the votes. And while Endgame won by comfortable margin up until the semifinal round where it won a tiebreaker over Infinity War by average margin of victory throughout the tournament. So, the final results, after tallying up the votes in a very close race, Avengers Endgame pulled away by winning with forty, what fifty-five percent of the votes. Am I shocked that Endgame won? Not really. I assumed uh, this matchup was going to be close, and it was close. And it was close mo- mostly throughout the Endgame pulled away in the final hours of voting. But the Dark Knight came out over ten years ago, and it still holds up. At, and it still holds up today in the in the world of shared universe comic book movies. But I want to say Endgame uh, won probably because. Of course, knows the most recent film came out a little over a year ago, and it was a huge crossover movie that set up that was set up uh, the course of the previous year with the events in Infinity War. But wrapping things up, this tournament, like I said, had been fun. I like, I like, you know, like I said, I, I did this because of the absence of no sports, and I was inspired by the March Madness bracket in college basketball. So I'm done with tournaments. Uh, for now, but like I said, the next one probably will be next year. I still don't know the topic yet. I think I said uh, superheroes, but I, I'm just gonna go back to the drawing board and brainstorm a little bit more and have a tournament with this same format. Letting people vote 
around March next year in honor of March Madness. So last week, it was announced that the first two games in the extremely popular Tony Hawk Pro Skater Series are getting remastered for the PS4 and the Xbox One. Yes, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 are getting the remastered treatment. When I first saw this news, I was like, okay, cool. I played the Tony Hawk games growing up from the Pro Skater Series to the Underground Series down to American Wasteland up to Tony Hawk Proving Grounds. And that was the last time I played a game in that series but i did not realize the news of this game getting remastered will gain so much traction on social media i saw people liking retweeting or sharing the news you know on facebook instagram or twitter and to be honest the tony hawk games is one of those you know one of those nostalgia games it's not up there with mario kart or anything like that but it's one of those games that takes you back to your childhood i would assume that everyone that has owned the gaming system Owned at least one Tony Hawk game at one point in time. And also, there was a point in everyone's childhood where they tried to learn how to skateboard. And I was one of them. I know it was the late 90s, early 2000s. The Tony Hawk games was extremely popular. Rocket Power was on Nickelodeon. Viva La Bam was popping on MTV. And, oh, yeah, before I move on, yeah, Viva La Bam was my show growing up. Remember, um, I think MTV had that Sunday night lineup. It was Viva La Bam, Pimp My Ride, and Wild Boys. Good old times. So, but back to the subject. So eventually, all of us at one point in time tried to pick up a skateboard. And for me, it did not last long because I was one of the little fat chubby kids. And to my knowledge, I may be wrong. If I'm wrong, you know, someone uh, informed me. But I do not know any heavy set, heavy set professional skateboarders in today's world. So I just stick to playing the Tony Hawk games and I just live vicariously through that so what we know so far okay so the like i said the first two games in this series are getting remastered tony hawk pro skater one and two and so the developers of this game are the same people who made the crash bandicoot remake a couple years back and some of the gaming features of course they're going to have redefined graphics they're bringing back original levels characters and tricks and they're bringing back the create a skate park feature and make it they're making it we can share it online and you're going to add a multiplayer mode as well. So you can you know, take your skills online against other players. And they didn't specify what kind of modes they're taking online. I would assume this be the head-to-head modes you had back in the day. But it's going to be, like I said, online. And um, and they they said they're going to be returning most of the soundtrack for both games. And they said some, they didn't say what song, but it says some of the songs on the original games won't be on the remastered one because of licensing issues, of course. And with... uh. The games like this 2k and madden the soundtrack is like another added feature to the game it can either hinder or help the gaming experience and usually the soundtrack in the tony hawk games are very diverse you know from your old school rap to your current rap heavy metal the punk rock and everything in between and these are and this is one of the games that kind of expanded my taste in music because i feel like i have a very diverse taste in music now i'm playing games like this 2k and madden growing up helped me with that but like I said, wrapping things up, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 will remastered, will be out on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One September 4th. No price yet, but I'm assuming since it's a remake and it's the same people that made the Crash remake, I'm assuming it's going to be a ten, it's going to be around, I say $40 because most remakes tend to be a little cheaper than the usual $60 game. And also uh, the release of this game may be a test run for future Tony Hawk games because if this, re- if this remake does do good, maybe they'll add other 
Tony Hawk games and remake it like the Underground series or American Wasteland, two of my favorite games in a Tony Hawk series, or maybe a brand new game for the PS5 in the near future. But we don't know yet until this game is released. But by the social media buzz around this game and the nostalgia factor behind it, I could say they're off to a very good start. So over the course of the last week, the NFL has been in the sports news a lot lately. Yes, they're in the midst of opening back up team facilities, but majority of the news hasn't put the NFL in the brightest light. We're going to start off with player arrests. Last week, arrest warrants for New York Giants cornerback DeAndre Baker and Seattle Seahawks cornerback Quinn Dunbar were requested for an incident on May 13th. The alleged incident is that Baker is charged with four counts of armed robbery with a firearm and four counts of aggravated assault with a firearm, while Dunbar has been charged with four counts of armed robbery. Per police report, Baker took money and watches from the victims armed with a semi-automatic firearm, while Dunbar allegedly assisted Baker in this incident, taking money and valuables from the attendees at a party. The pair were allegedly hanging out at a cookout when an argument ensued, resulting in Baker revealing his firearms. And Baker allegedly directed a third member wearing a mask to shoot a person who entered, whoever entered the party, but the gun was never fired. Let me mention that Baker and Dunbar were not wearing masks during this incident. So where do I begin in this situation? First off, Baker and Dunbar in the NFL, they're making millions of dollars. Why, why are you in the NFL and you're robbing somebody? Because both Baker and Dunbar believe that taking three uh, time pieces, including an eighteen thousand dollar Rolex and a pronounced right, a, 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 I'm not a watch person, but a hub lot, I want to assume, worth at twenty five thousand dollars. Both, I'm pretty sure both those guys can afford those watches. Why they decided to take them? I don't know, and it's also allegedly uh, taken. It's also allegedly reported that they also took seven thousand dollars in cash. I'm pretty sure uh, their NFL game checks are worth more than seven thousand dollars. Like I said, I don't know why two pro athletes, millions of dollars, nice cars, decided uh, to rob, but uh, but I don't know. Uh, but the two uh, suspects or two witnesses say that. They did not see Dunbar with the firearm, but once that he did see Dunbar with the firearm. So we have conflicting witness reports as well. But as of now, no one has officially been charged with the crime. But I want to say there's have been reports that Baker and Dunbar have turned themselves into, I want to say, Broward County PD in Florida. But the lawyer said they have evidence to prove that these two young men are in. Innocent, but also read a report that both of them have pled. I want to say, but have have pled non guilty for these crimes. I'm not 100 percent sure, but that's just some of the stuff that's been happening in the news in the NFL. And other thing, big news in the NFL has been NFL minority incentives. Because last Friday, the NFL was considering improving draft picks for teams that hire minority candidates as head coaches or general managers. But under this proposal, aiming to fix the diversity problem in the NFL, a team would uh, improve its third-round pick by so uh, their third-round pick selection by up to 16 picks, giving up 10 spots for hiring minority candidate as a general manager or equal equivalent level position, and six spots for hiring a minority head coach. My initial thoughts on this: 
to be honest, I had, I had to read this a couple times to make sure I was reading this right and it was true. And to be honest, it's a damn shame that you have to give incentive to teams for hiring a minority head coach or GM because the NFL has the what, what they call the Rooney Rule, meaning that uh, when when the team interviews for a head coach or a general manager spot, they must interview at least one minority candidate. Does that mean they have to hire that uh, minority? Uh, they just have to, you know, have interview one basically just, just to be fair because the lack of diversity in the higher up positions in the NFL have been a big issue for quite some time. With only currently only four head coaches and one GM that are minorities, the NFL is trying to work is trying to work on improving those numbers because the NFL has been trying to be more progressive, a more progressive league, especially with the players' coalition. But in my opinion. This 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 proposal makes the NFL look bad. That the lack of diversity is so little in the NFL that they basically have to bribe teams into hiring minorities. Like, hey, you hire a black coach, we'll give you better draft picks. That's basically how I read it. But granted, the people who are interviewing, you know, the owners, they can hire whoever they want, black, white, Mexican, whatever. It's their team. They get, they can hire whatever workers they want. But a lot of people think that just that thing that just because they bring one minority in. They're just fulfilling the Rooney rule and they don't have to hire them and they can hire, you know, a more or less qualified person for that position. Like they're just like, oh, we just got this black guy here. He just to meet the quota or go hire him. No, because we got our eye on, you know, this guy. But we just brought him in so the NFL can, can lay off our backs because the NFL owners are often called by a lot of analysts and reporters, the good old boys club that they hire people that look like them. Rather than than um, hiring the best person qualified for that position, but the react my personal reaction to this proposal, um, I had some time to think about it, but to be honest, like it's better than nothing. <laughs> I I do I agree with how they're going upon it. No, but I rather have a minority have a job than not having one at all. You know how I look at it. Well, but, but let's just say a minority does get hired, and they do a good job. Let's say they go. You know, win a bunch of games, win a few playoff games. Hell, maybe even win a Super Bowl. Uh, this may open up the doors for other minority coaches to get hired because the NFL is a very copycat league. If they see something work at one place, they're going to take it. Yeah, they're going to take it and implement it where they're at. I'm pretty sure if a black head coach wins a Super Bowl, I, I bet you like 10 head coaches, 10 black head coaches are going to get hired for the next season. And we're looking at with the quarterback position. Uh, we had success with what Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, all African-American quarterbacks do good in their respective positions. Now we're having a lot of other teams trying to get, I want to say African-American quarterback, but trying to get a, mo- a more mobile quarterback for their offense. But they did meet up about this, I want to say yesterday, and it was reported that the NFL has quote-unquote tabled the idea meaning they're going to they're gonna make a decision at a later date in time. Maybe they realize that this was crazy. And hopefully the NFL will do better with hiring minority head coaches and general managers. So this past Sunday was a finale of the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary titled The Last Dance. But overall... It was a good documentary. I know in the past, I think a couple episodes ago, I was critical on how it was presented. At first, I thought they were just solely covering Michael Jordan's last year in Chicago, but it covered his whole career in Chicago from 1984 to 1998. And also jumping back and forth from 
1998 to other years in Michael Jordan's career, then I realized that they were taking a non-linear story tone approach. And basically non-linear is basically telling the story, not from like, you know, usually it's beginning to end, but non-linear, it may start at the end and go to the beginning, then jump in the middle, jump back to the end and back to the beginning. Kind of like a Quentin Tarantino movie. That's that's like the perfect example of non-linear storytelling. But in this documentary, uh, or in this documentary, it, or my bad, this documentary was amplified even more because of the current situation with no live sports in the world. And after watching this documentary, it brought up a lot of good talking points. And I'm going to just, you know, discuss a few of them. Uh, first was the off-court coverage, because most people like myself were probably interested in what happened off the court than rather what happened on the court, because we already know what happened. Six championships, six finals MVPs, a storied career. But most of us didn't know the stuff like Dennis Rodman taking a quote-unquote two-day vacation in the middle of the season, or Scottie Pippen not getting surgery in the summer while he was supposed to, but waiting for the start of the season to get that surgery. And some of the major talking points in this documentary, first was the Jordan craze, because the Jordan craze was something we never seen before. He was basically all four Beatles wrapped into one, and he was like one of the first athletes, especially basketball players, to have that crossover appeal from you know, sports and entertainment, you know, he had his shoes, he has commercials, movies, etc., etc., and he was still dominant on the court while doing that, and it was brought up the question that I saw, I think Complex posted an article a couple weeks ago, basically, it was asking, could the Chicago Bulls play in the social media era? I would have to say no, because in today's NBA, we could contact a player and tell him how we feel and vice versa, like, I can tweet Steph Curry right now, but hey, man, I think you suck at basketball, which I don't. I like Steph Curry a lot, but in the aspects of Twitter and Instagram and some in some capacities, Facebook, I have the power to let him know how I feel. Will he see it? Probably not, because I will never tweet anything like that about Steph Curry. I think he's one of the best players in the NBA. I actually had him as my MVP this past season, but he got he got hurt four games in. But you know, I just. <laughs> It happens, but uh, back to the back, back to the uh, topic at hand. Yeah, but yeah, with social media, we could tell player how we feel and vice versa. Kevin Durant does it all the time, but it's not from his official account. But that's a story for another day. But because a lot of the stuff back then was behind closed doors, we didn't find out about all this stuff until this documentary was out. Imagine if we had social media and Michael Jordan's gambling was brought to the forefront. You know how many memes. <laughs> They were having that or when Dennis Rodman skipped practice to be with the NWO in WCW or the added pressure that would happen if social media, if we had social media back then. Because Michael Jordan looks like the type of guy that will be reading his comments on his Twitter back when he was playing. Another talking point was Jordan's leadership tactics because MJ's leadership tactics was a hot topic on sports debate shows during this documentary because two incidents come to mind. The first one was allegedly reported that Michael Jordan told a flight attendant not to feed Horace Grant because he had a bad game. Me personally, there's no way in hell another grown man is going to tell me when and when I can't eat. And the other ones, of course, when he when he punched two of his uh, teammates, Will Perdue and Steve Kerr. And the other one, probably the biggest one, in my personal opinion, that I brought up a couple times in you know on social media was the, you know how they say nowadays, or one of the biggest biggest criticism in today's NBA are the players that too quote unquote buddy buddy with each other. They be talking before the game, you know, after the game, taking pictures, swapping jerseys, and be seen hanging out outside of basketball. And a lot of your old heads today are like, 
Michael Jordan would never been caught doing this. But come on, there's over 400 players in the NBA. That's going to be, uh, you're going to make friends that, that are on the other team, especially if y'all were teammates in the past, you know, in AAU, college, or even, you know, uh, on other NBA teams. But, but in, this, in my opinion, I don't have a problem with, uh, you know, NBA players being friendly with each other. That's probably because, you know, I'm a younger guy. But two incidents happened in this documentary that should put to bed the whole NBA players nowadays are too buddy-buddy take. Because in the first, I think in the first, the first or second episode, they show Michael Jordan playing golf with a Celtics player in the middle of the Bulls playoff, in the middle of a Bulls-Celtics playoff series. I guarantee you in today's NBA, you want to see LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard at the mall together if the Lakers and Celtics or if the Lakers and the Clippers are playing each other in the playoffs. And people always say uh, MJ will never be buddy-buddy with players, but we've seen them multiple times talking to players after games before press conferences like Larry Bird, Karl Malone, and John Stockton when they was playing each other in the NBA Finals. And you also know other big talking points was Jordan's first retirement. It was a conspiracy theory, a conspiracy theory say that David Stern kind of told him under wraps that to serve, to serve an 18, 18 month suspension because of Jordan's gambling. It was just, you know, it was just, uh, you know, 18 months is it's, it's usually like your average banning or suspension for something like that. And he was gone for 20 months, but I just chalked it up to, you know, Jordan's dad was killed. So I'm pretty sure that's what that took, that took a lot on Michael Jordan emotionally, and he, and that made him walk away from the game, which I ain't got a problem with. Understandable. But some of my favorite parts in the documentary, I'm going to go over it a little bit, was first off, the entire episode nine, which had the Pacers series with Reggie Miller, by far the toughest opponent, um, the Bulls, or one of the toughest teams, uh, Michael Jordan's uh, Bulls face during you know the span of his career. And he also had the flu game, which was corrected to be the food poisoning, the food poisoning game, because the story went that Jordan ordered a he was ordering food and the pizza place was open at the time, and he ordered a pizza. And it turns out it took five guys, it took five guys to deliver the pizza. I don't know why it take five guys to deliver one pizza. To me, I would been uh, that would been uh, suspicious from the jump because you know you're the rival team ordering food. Of course they're gonna do something to it. What they did, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know me personally because Utah is a predominantly white state. I thought they would write a racial slur on the pizza box. That's what I thought. But it turns out he ate the pizza. He got sick. Did they do something to it? I don't know. Not accusing anybody. But over the past few years, the Utah Jazz fans are known to be they're known to be very how I put this. They they do questionable tactics. I think uh Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul had a couple incidents with them. Uh Within a within the last few years, but yeah, the the Pacers, the entire episode nine, the Pacers series, and the food, the flu game slash food poisoning game, and also, oh, uh, the Steve Kerr portion of that episode. One of the more interesting parts of the documentary, in my opinion, is because Steve Steve Kerr had a great NBA resume. Eight, he's an eight time champion. People don't know that. Uh, we just know him as the the Warriors coach. But yeah, he's an eight time champion. Of course, three with the Bulls two with the Spurs, and of course, three with as the Golden State Warriors head coach. And he has the NBA record for career three-point percentage at 45%. And we weren't a lot about Steve Kerr because most people think, oh, Steve Kerr, he's just, you know, this and that. He, uh, anybody can coach the Warriors team. 
probably. Uh, but to me, like, yeah, I always thought that the Warriors didn't Mark Jackson wrong by firing him prematurely. And that's not Steve Kerr's fault. He inherited something good, but he still had to coach the team. You know, like if someone gives you a Ferrari, you know, you still have to do maintenance on it. It's not going to run well just because, you know, right after they give it to you, you still have to take care of it. Like I said, do maintenance work, change the tires, fill the gas up, wash your car and all that stuff. But back to the, to the, uh, to Steve Kerr. But we weren't a lot about his upbringing, during his segment on how and also how his dad was murdered because I didn't notice, but Steve Kerr was born in Lebanon. I did not know that. I thought he was just born in like he was a California kid because uh, I think he said he, he he didn't stay that far from UCLA. But yeah, he was born overseas. But because because uh, his father was the president of well, he's the president of a professor at America, I think it was called American University of Be Beirut in Lebanon, and at the time. Uh, it was during the Lebanon Civil War, and Americans were not were basically Americans were basically the enemy in Lebanon at the time. And he was killed after getting off an elevator by two assassins, assassins pretending to be students. And it shows today, like like Steve Kerr's upbringing, it shows today how he is so outspoken about issues going on in America. And also, of course, the Kobe Bryant portion of the documentary episode five, I want to say. Uh, I think this this hit a lot of people hard because we just lost Kobe Bryant what four months ago, and this being this being like the first post I think post posthumous thing we've seen him in since his death. But that was a real I know that I think on social media that was a real emotional moment for a lot of basketball fans in general because you know Kobe was he's he he he's my Michael Jordan. I'm pretty sure I speak for a lot of people as well. But episode five this start with the All Star game in Madison Square Garden where Kobe guarded Jordan for most. Uh, for for most of the of that All Star game, beginning the Kobe Bryant Michael Jordan relationship, and Kobe spoke how he spoke on how much Michael Jordan meant to him because he said he wouldn't achieve what he achieved if Michael Jordan then you know it, 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 without Michael Jordan and also Dennis Rodman. Uh, part of the documentaries were great as well because the part I was waiting for the most, I was like, if they don't show this part in the documentary, this documentary. In an entire disappointment. And it's the time when Dennis Rodman skipped an NBA Finals practice to be with the NWO and WCW because the late 1990s was the apex of wrestling. It was in the middle of the Monday Night Wars between WCW and WWF at the time. And the NWO was at the peak of its popularity. And at the time, it, we had a lot of crossover between sports and wrestling because two months after the NBA Finals in 1998, uh, Dennis Rodman did wrestle Carl Malone in a match at Bash at the Beach. And you know, it, just, it just doesn't get any more 90s than that. But wrapping things up, my final remarks. Overall, I like the documentary a lot. Like I said, it came at a perfect time. We're, we're currently on a hiatus from sports. And kudos to ESPN for expediting this documentary. And things are looking, are on the up and up with some leagues resuming play. And as soon as... And, and some states are opening back up and some leagues are opening back up their facilities for team to go training. But it looks like we are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. I greatly appreciate y'all taking time on y'all busy day to give this podcast a listen. Please like, subscribe, share the podcast. Tell your family, tell your friends about the podcast. Follow the podcast on Twitter at High Infinity Pod. And follow me, the host, Jacob Knight, on Twitter and Instagram at So Yeah, I'm Asian. And y'all be safe, and I will see y'all next time.